Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to New Books in History, a channel of the New Books Network. I am Vladislav Lilic, a doctoral candidate in modern European history at Vanderbilt University. In today's episode, I have an immense privilege to host Dr. Hannes Granditz, Chair in Southeast European History at Humboldt University in Berlin. Dr. Granditz is among the very few most prominent historians of the Balkans in Central European Academy and the author of numerous monographs and volumes on various aspects of the region's modern history. For the next 45 or so minutes, we will discuss his captivating new book, The End of Ottoman Rule in Bosnia, Conflicting Agencies and Imperial Appropriations, published by Routledge earlier this year. The study challenges conventional accounts of the last years of effective Ottoman control over the empire's westernmost European possession by stressing the complex interactions between previously understudied local, regional, and international actors. Dr. Granditz, welcome to New Books Network, and thank you for taking the time to talk to me about your work. Thank you very much for being invited and have the opportunity to uh, go into the discussion of my book. Mm -hmm. As is customary on our channel, I will start us off by asking how your research led you to write about late Ottoman Bosnia. Some of your earlier works dealt with the nature of political authority and loyalty in Ottoman borderlands. How has your interest in the region developed over the years? Uh, yeah, this this book, or the, re- the most recent book, uh, which is really on the end of Ottoman rule, uh, which took place during the Great Eastern Crisis in, the, in a period where even uh, 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 this always feared big war between the great powers was on the horizon in, the, uh, in this great oriental crisis in the 1870s. And um, uh, in this, this, and this crisis was uh, somehow uh, uh, rooted or started with a, with a very uh, local event, uh, an upsurge in, in, in a, a small um, rebellion uh, on the uh, uh, Ottoman, Herzegovinian and Montenegrin borderlands. And so on the one hand, there was this kind of global world history turning point. On the other hand, uh, it was... Um, a very, very peripheral part of the uh, Ottoman borderlands. And I've, I was really challenged to understand um, how this uh, this local peripheral event could eventually become such an important part uh, in, in the larger framework uh, of uh, political developments. Uh, so this was, um, this is a little bit... Um, the, the, the basic uh, uh, idea behind this. Um, I had um, uh, studied in, uh, in my habilitation research uh, the Tanzimat reforms because I wanted to understand um, on a regional setting um, what, what was the Tanzimat. Uh, uh, we know a lot about it as a big reform project that was started from the center uh, half willingly, half li- under pressure by uh, the great powers on the Ottoman uh, Empire. But um, we know that the Tanzimat uh, implementation varied differently in different parts of this huge empire. And so I studied um, the, uh, the Tanzimat reform process uh, in Bosnia and in particular in the Herzegovinian Vilayet. Um, and it turned out that this was really uh, quite contrary to what usually has been uh, 
the, the dominant narrative, a time of, of far-reaching reforms and changes uh, of administration, of economy, of opening up uh, um, the, the region into wider trends uh, uh, of the uh, of this of the zeitgeist of the time. Um, and this was a little bit um, in, in, in contrast to usually what was the case, this kind of uh, unchanging, uh, 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 um, uh, unwillingness of the Ottoman um, bureaucracy or the, the leading personnel for change. But what I've seen in, in this study, particularly in the 1860s, there was enormous change, or at least uh, uh, attempts to to push forward a kind of a more bureaucratic order. This had, of course, people who benefited and people who regretted these changes, was obviously was the case. And this earlier study um, was very much dealing uh, with, with the way the Tanzimat affected regional society. Um, then I, I paused uh, on, on this topic. Um, uh, but uh, So this topic was on, on reform period. Uh, and so the new book was... and. And why did this uh, Ottoman rule end it uh, in in Bosnia? So uh, was it a loss of control? Uh, was it something a, a big? Um, um, uh, yeah, what is the deeper background of of this way of why why Ottoman rule came to an end? Um, and I was I was quite uncomfortable uh, because usually it was this kind of. Um, uh, national plus that also social revolutionary uh, story that totally dominates this kind of uh, um, um, uh, period of time uh, as a kind of um, uh, uprising against the old order. And to to certain degree, this was the case for certain parts, but for many People living there, it was not the case. It was something else, yeah. And and what it was, and how this local regional setting and was then uh, increasingly embedded into wider frameworks of historical development in very dramatic and dynamic developments. Uh, this is my book about. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And your methodology is grounded in a sustained focus on local power dynamics and the ways in which these interacted with broader socioeconomic and political processes imperial rivalry and cooperation. So would you please elaborate on, on the approach itself, and especially on, on the sources that, that you have utilized in this study? Yeah, uh, I figured out that, uh, that uh, when you go into the uh, um, all kind of sources that the contemporaries involved into this event, uh, event um, on different sides, I mean, uh, people... Uh, uh, who were in, in in bureaucracies like telegraph officers uh, that, uh, or uh, uh, librarians uh, or uh, I have an important source uh, Josef Kötchet who was partly the uh, head of the hospital in Sarajevo and on the other hand he was also a kind of a political advisor. Uh, there were also um, uh, various locals involved in the Ottoman system uh, um, uh, of, uh, of, of administration that later gave information. So they had a kind of an interpretation about what was going on. Um, but if you look to others involved, those people who volunteered uh, for fighting the Ottoman rule, um, um, 
mainly uh, coming also from different corners of Europe, <laughs> they uh, also had a, a kind of a, uh, a story about uh, uh, what was going on. And then what also surprised me, there were, of course, diplomats, consuls uh, of all different uh, uh, great powers that had uh, been there for a short or longer period of time. Also, they had their stories. Um, and then, then you also had journalists. Uh, it was fascinating to me that when, when this crisis broke out, just in, in a couple of weeks, the, the, there were journalists all around and writing about it. And um, so the, the, uh, what, what was my basic um, uh, endeavor or challenge is uh, to really listen to the people who were involved into this. And, um, and then you get quite uh, conflicting interpretations on, uh, depending on the, uh, from what perspectives the, 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 um, the, those involved um, on the ground, di directly in the region, um, what we're talking about. You have quite really conflicting and contradictory interpretation. And this was the, this kind of local regional uh, understanding. And the, and the next level was how uh, uh, this, um, uh, these events and the dynamic of events was then understood, transported, and integrated into a wider language uh, of political decision-making uh, in neighboring principalities, in the Ottoman center, in the center of other um, great powers uh, who increasingly saw that more and more these uh, developments were part of a greater European or greater Eastern question. Uh, so the, those uh, who really were, were not in the region, but tried to make sense what's, what was going on in the region. This is another aspect that was fascinating uh, in the way, this kind of framing process of, of what's going on. So you have, you have uh, agents, uh, contemporaries, that um, in the sources uh, during the, the events uh, in various administrative and, uh, and other um, uh, collections wrote about it, but then also in memoirs and other ways uh, uh, we're talking about or, or, or wrote uh, articles in, in journals or in newspapers. And you have this, 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 this larger diplomatic uh, background. And this was, for me, this, this fascinating part of the, uh, of the story. So... Uh, looking really to agents in the region and looking on the region that were my crucial interlocutors uh, for what was uh, what I was interested in. And contrary to many older accounts, you argue that the last years of Ottoman rule in Bosnia were marked by relative stability despite local violence and, and mobilization. Would you please sketch an overview of socioeconomic and political relations in the Vilayat of Bosnia in the lead-up to the crisis of 1875 so our listeners could better comprehend what we are dealing with here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, just just to, to mark it, I mean, this this uh, local society went into, a, into a, uh, between 1875 and 78 to a various crisis period, but... Um, uh, it, it was fascinating for me just to finish uh, first at this and then returning back to your question is that in 1878, um, Ottoman rule was so stable 
in in the in the Ottoman uh, uh, Bosnian Vilayet that uh, that the, this kind of occupation force that was agreed upon at the Berlin Congress in 1878 uh, that uh, came into the region in the summer uh, of 1878 to to occupy it in the name of the Habsburg Empire, uh, it took them uh, almost three months with a a fighting force of 100, uh, in the end, 150,000 soldiers involved to to take over control of the Bosnian Vilayet. So, just to conclude, uh, Ottoman rule in the end was not totally disintegrated in 1878, but uh, it was really a, this occupation uh, campaign um, to took really all military efforts for the Habsburg uh, uh, military uh, hierarchy to take over. So this is a, a puzzling issue. So uh, so how to under, uh, understand it if uh, the, the uh, Ottoman rule is so so unstable or uh, how this can then be explained that it needs such a huge force to occupy it. Um, this doesn't mean that the, uh, that the regions... Uh, or the, the, the province on, and generally the Ottoman Empire was not in a period of big turnarounds and upheavals and crises and also much of suffering. Um, but I think that one has to differentiate um, and also with regard to the economic uh, uh, relations and the situation, uh, uh, the, the crisis really starts in 1873 and not necessarily in the region, but it was this kind of the, the first global crash in, uh, uh, in in the finances that that uh, uh, set off with the uh, bankruptcy of the Austrian stock, uh, the Viennese stock market, and then uh, uh, it was this kind of financial crashes that that also was connected to the New York uh, stock exchange and that also broke down. So 1873 was the the first deep crisis of. Capitalism, <laughs> uh, that also Karl Marx and others were then uh, writing about, um, and this um, um, this big economic financial crisis, this worldwide uh, financial crisis, had effect on all involved uh, states or, uh, around the globe, but in, in particular also on the states that were highly indebted, uh, and among this uh, were most of these states. Rather, one would say in the uh, periphery of uh, of global relations in the Ottoman Empire, uh, in particular, um, from 1873 onward, the Ottoman um, um, center had difficulties to pay back their loans, but they had uh, also difficulties to uh, pay their soldiers, their bureaucrats, and so on. Um, so this then also arrived in in the Bosnian Vilayet from 1873 onward. Um, the, the, the system was in, in a kind of a financial mess, yeah? the, the state system. Um, this one has to, to keep in mind. The problems uh, here at the border and the, the, the violence started on the Ottoman-Montenegrin border. Um, this has a lot to do with issues of border, of tax paying, uh, of... Um, uh, uh, local feuds um, between different power holders in in this border context. So one has to understand. <laughs> I hope that I've uh, explained it properly. Mm -hmm. This this turnaround in the finances, in global finances, that struck the Ottoman uh, state apparatus and bureaucracy till into every province. And one has to understand 
this very local logic of a border conflict. Mm -hmm. um, and this border conflict um, in this Herzegovinian um, uh, Montenegrin border situation um, was following a very complex logic. Uh, and this is what I wanted to, to tell that when this uh, border conflict escalated, it somehow got merged with the overall economic problems that the uh, uh, Ottoman uh, uh, state apparatus was, was confronted with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And much of your analysis is based on these multidirectional interplays between local actors, regional power holders, central Ottoman bureaucracy and foreign intervention. How did these interplays shape the unfolding of the crisis in Herzegovina in 1875 and after? Could you provide a, a number of examples? Uh, mm -hmm. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, the, um, uh, what I was really surprised of is um, that uh, it was on the one hand um, uh, a border conflict in, in this, um, it started already a little bit earlier with local events in, 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 in uh, autumn 1874. It was a, a period of bad harvests as well. Uh, and, and it was very much also about the status of Montenegro. Uh, and uh, Montenegro was under uh, um, Ottoman supremacy, uh, but uh, in its own understanding, it was an autonomous uh, principality. Uh, so the status was undefined. Um, uh, there, uh, also, uh, Ottoman, uh, uh, the Montenegrin principality was deeply integrated into into the economy of the Ottoman Empire. Um, this this status question uh, erupted in this way. Yeah, this is on one hand this border crossing, and then also uh, uh, a, a way of a, a rural um, uh, uh, uprising that then got um, against unfair taxes, uh, against uh, uh, lo local bandits, and uh, uh, this everything got together. This is the local story. Um, uh, what we also see is that the zeitgeist of this period, uh, and if you think of the, uh, the Paris Commune and the uh, uh, French-Prussian uh, or French-German war, uh, where this kind of a, a, a revolutionary movements uh, were quite um, widespread, particularly in Italy. And Italy was uh, um, a, a, is, is very close by, um, and this spirit of uh, national liberalization, liber liberation uh, that was so strong in Italy, that also uh, had supporters in Germany and other places in the uh, uh, in, in in Europe, um, somehow got combined with to, to what was happening in, in this border region, because um, from very early on uh, it was uh, there, there were uh, re um, volunteers. Uh, the first have been uh, volunteers coming from Italy, so-called Garibaldinists. Uh, very soon also volunteers coming from the Serbian principalities um, were entering into this conflict uh, and by, uh, by this idea of fighting the ancien regime, the old order. Um, and and this, uh, this is what I, what I wanted to tell in addition is this framing process. So increasingly in newspapers and others, it was a kind of uh, a rebellion against the Ancien Regime that Russian volunteers, that uh, Italian volunteers, that Serbian, that South Slavic volunteers went there to fight the Ancien Regime. So that means uh, 
on the in the region itself it was fighting uh, 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 Ottoman uh, soldiers and uh, and uh, uh, Muslim uh, 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 overlords, uh, but in their understanding, they were fighting also against uh, an outdated system. That they, for example, the, the Russians uh, volunteers were implicitly also fighting against autocratic rule at home. Um, uh, the autocratic rule of the Tsar, who was also the Ancien Regime. Yeah? So uh, this is a very fascinating story, how uh, the zeitgeist and the, and the moving ideas of a revolutionary youth, and the mainly young people, uh, somehow found uh, the, the, the uprising in this borderland that was usually called the Herzegovinian uprising as, as, a, as a good example of this uh, of their struggle for revolution and change in Europe. This is interesting to, to see. So it, it has this imperial framework, Ottoman uh, bureaucracy reform. It has this border conflict with local regions. And then it had co- a combination with wider ongoing revolutionary thought. And this somehow merged together in, in this regional conflict. And let us go back briefly to Tanzimat and the reform effort. Uh, you show how Ottoman authorities constantly strove for pacification, inter-societal cooperation, and refuge repatriation. Uh, how did these relate to the wider imperial project of consolidation and, and, and reform? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, already uh, before the conflict uh, uh, broke out, um, liberalization or economic liberalization was also part of the idea. So opening uh, the, 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 this kind of... Hobsbawm was talking about the age of capital, this, uh, this way of a, a step towards modernization by liberalizing economy. This is important uh, because um, in this way, the, uh, the Ottoman vilayet, uh, there was huge investment into uh, uh, travel infrastructure to make uh, uh, trade and economy uh, more intensive because this was a way to prosperity. This is just a background understanding. Um, what was clear when the conflict broke out uh, was that, um, and this conflict produced, uh, uh, maybe we can have a short talk later on the on the violence involved. Um, it produced a huge number of refugees, uh, refugees that, uh, that that somehow fled from the the, the areas of conflict, um, either across the borders into the neighboring. Uh, um, regions and uh, of the Habsburg Empire, partly uh, and just partly to Montenegro and partly to, to the Serbian principality. But also they were internally displaced uh, and, and fled the region into the, the towns of, uh, uh, of Sarajevo and, and the other, other towns all around in, within the Bosnian village. The understanding uh, of all involved was pacification or bringing uh, peace again or stability was uh, the people should return back to their homes. Um, uh, and, and this was uh, a conviction that was shared, of course, with neighboring uh, Habsburg territory uh, and the administration that they were over, overwhelmed by, uh, in the end, more than 100 or even 150,000 refugees on, on their soil, uh, which was a huge burden. So refugee return, uh, pacification, bringing back uh, normality was negotiated and uh, 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 indispensable for bringing again stability and bringing back uh, or, or uh, yeah order into this border region, and the Ottoman Empire feared 
that if this conflict would go on and order would not restored, this could have repercussions on the status of the Ottoman Empire generally in the concept of Europe or in the general framework. So um, returning back, pacification was uh, uh, on the one hand humanitarian, of course, it was also driven by economic rationality, but it was also a way of um, uh, uh, facing the the political challenge uh, that the Ottoman Empire was faced with. Let us turn to violence at long last. Um, many of our listeners might might assume that violence was um, directed along confessional um, borders or markers. Your entire work tries to contradict, to challenge uh, these confessional constraints. Uh, how did violence operate at the local level and what are your findings in, in this department? <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, there's a, a, a long tradition of dealing uh, with uh, with this uprising, or generally, uprisings played a particular role uh, in historiography uh, in the region itself. Uh, uh, this has to do uh, in the in the in the time um, uh, in the second half of the 20th century that uprising in, in the socialist historiography was something that uh, that, 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 that it was uh, of the oppressed masses would somehow. Uh, 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 in a kind of a socialist revolutionary spirit would turn around uh, the social relations. This has, a, of course, a lot to do with the, uh, with the way uh, the, the, the socialist state was looking forward. And earlier, uh, uprisings were something as a kind of a national liberation. Uh, liberation. Um, so that, that people who were, uh, 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 were, under, were, were dreaming a vision of a national future uh, were uh, uh, trying to to uh, uh, or risking their life in up, uh, uprisings um, uh, against the, the order. Uh, but if you look closer, and, and we have a, a, many stories that that is somehow where the historian is sitting together with these people in the uprising, they they do not. They, I mean, they talk a lot about uh, their political goals and and the struggles and all of that, but they do not talk so much about violence. Um, if, I, if, if you understand what I wanted to say, they, they were talking about their political goals and their ideology, but in the end, it was extremely violent. Yeah? Um, uh, so uh, it was um, uh, soon uh, combined with uh, various efforts of plundering uh, of something what would, uh, uh, yeah, what what later would be called ethnic cleansing or so, uh, but in a in a much more complex setting yeah the confessional dimension played a role uh, this kind of uh, new understanding uh, of a, of a national uh, future was rather something that was uh, brought in um, uh, as a kind of a, a, a framing uh, uh, effort but on the ground it 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 was um, quite that local relations and local feuds that existing between different um, uh, yeah, groups, power holders uh, played as well a role. So violence was extremely important. And I mean, uh, we, we know that in the last um, uh, one, two, three decades, studying violence in civil wars as a, uh, uh, as a, as a kind of explaining uh, how uh, civil wars are uh, dominated by 
or some are also uh, uh, in, 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 in various ways one has to understand violence in itself as a um, uh, as a generative force, as uh, I would quote one one uh, recent book. Um, so <clears throat> my intention was now not to, to look just on those who were fighting, and this was a quite a limited number of people, uh, then looking to those who became refugees or were fighting against the, those in the uprising, but also trying to understand this local um, uh, dynamics and logics of violence. So Violence um, not being only as a political uh, or uh, confessional tool, but uh, as a as a generative important factor to understand the the development on the ground. This is something that I wanted to um, combine my study also with newer findings in in, in methodology and, and theory on on violence in civil wars. And, and and I dare add that that your book is not guilty of overlooking. Uh, the physical constraints, the landscape and geography, and 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 you know better than I that, that there is a long-standing moral economy of violence in these largely mountainous areas in the Adriatic littoral. Could you just add a few words on on how space itself constrained action or or relatively determined action in in the crisis of the 1870s? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is absolutely right. I, I totally agree. If you look closer, uh, the, uh, the, there were, uh, the Bosnian village uh, 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 convist, uh, con, uh, consisted of a uh, yeah, uh, couple of six, seven Sanjaks. If you look the places where for uh, those two, three years, except the period when the Ottoman Empire was in official war, but also in these periods, it was closely... Uh, uh, taking place mainly in the border regions. It was taking place generally in the Herzegovinian Montenegrin border regions and then also in the border uh, zones in in the Bosnian parts, in the border zones uh, and in the uh, mountain, mountainous border zones that were difficult to access uh, by Ottoman uh, military or also Bashi Bosuks or other. So it, it was border and mountain uh, that, that uh, were... It, it surprised me extremely that, for example, Sarajevo was never affected at all. And many, most other towns far away from the, the, the Bosnian borders were hardly... Uh, 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 places where violence took place. Yeah. So, border uh, understanding traditional border conflicts, how uh, how they worked, also the way that uh, fighting forces could retreat across the border or could retreat into uh, into mountains. One has to understand this logic of guerrilla warfare across border and into mountains. And it was interesting that um, more or less uh, when there was a, uh, 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 during the then later outbreaking Ottoman-Russian war, that of course had repercussions here, uh, Austrian authorities and Ottoman authorities jointly uh, were, were collaborating in uh, bringing down the rest of these uh, uh, uprising troops. And it, the uprising more or less collapsed in uh, 1874, yeah? <laughs> and uh, because then the border 
was at least in this part totally closed also from the Habsburg side. So one has really to understand the local geography, border, mountain, and the way how geography borders are part of a, of a logic of, uh, of fighting the existing order. And modern discourses of humanitarian intervention, as you already mentioned, occupation and refugee crisis management, largely crystallized around the events that you scrutinize in the book. Uh, what exactly made Ottoman Bosnia and other parts of, of uh, Turkey in Europe, as it was called by contemporaries, such a fertile ground for great power appropriations of local conflicts? It was interesting, and you, you, you take, I mean, there was, um, the, uh, um, in the, I think in the, in the course of the 1990s, in the early 2000s, there was there were a couple of interesting books, uh, among this Davide Rodonio's book, uh, about the concept of uh, humanitarian intervention in the 19th century. Um, and if you look to this Great Eastern Crisis, you see um, uh, that uh, it all uh, evolved in the in the uh, co- closely combined to the so-called Bulgarian uprising, uh, which was taking place also uh, uh, also uh, quite related to what was going on in Bosnia uh, when this kind of Bulgarian massacres. When this was a, just a two three weeks uprising that was put down quite brutally. Uh, by uh, local uh, guerrillas in the Rodopen and Balkan mountains. So, but this was over. And um, in particular in Great Britain, we know that Gladstone wrote this famous book, The Bulgarian Massacres, a kind of a humanitarian discourse about uh, the, the killing of Christians in Bulgaria became a big story that I, I was not so much aware of how strongly this influenced public opinion in in great britain um, so uh, in 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 this this the development of massacres and the protection of christians uh, uh, in foreign countries became um, a very interesting force uh, of um, of this uh, uh, what uh, one would say humanitarian um, interest and um, one has to understand this development uh, that has uh, partly been uh, uh, connected to, to to what was really happening uh, but partly was a, a very i think in intellectual development by itself yeah uh, and <clears throat> uh, yeah protecting christians under uh, uh, ottoman rule was something that that Became a kind of conviction um, in in many parts of uh, lear- of, of learned and political political uh, uh, elites throughout Europe. This is important to know. Uh, uh, just a la- last word on on this uh, or two comments on this. Bosnian was not really affected with this humanitarian discourse, or only rudimentarily. Uh, only later, after the Bulgarian uh, intervention, and it was interesting that the, this this uh, outraged um, um, uh, discourses on the Bulgarian massacre totally vanished during the Ottoman-Russian War, where then again a pro-Ottoman strand be- became dominant in in Great Britain. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, what I wanted to say is, on the one hand, this. Uh, local development of, of, a, of a new idea of humanitarian intervention in the centers of, um, of the great powers. Um, uh, one has to understand this and also understand how this humanitarian discourse then eventually also had repercussions to what was going on in political decision-making on 
the situation in uh, various provinces of the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end, you convincingly argue uh, that the end of Ottoman rule and the resulting Austro-Hungarian occupation were not inevitable, of course. Uh, were there alternative paths and what other futures could the contemporary inhabitants of the Bosnian Vilayet have imagined in 1878, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was something that I was particularly uh, <clears throat> not so aware of uh, uh, before I went deeper into it. Also, I was quite aware of the uh, local uh, histories. Uh, it was that uh, in the Treaty of San Stefano, that the specialists will know, uh, that ended the Ottoman-Russian War, um, autonomy was agreed upon for the uh, 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 Bosnian Vilayet. Yeah? That means uh, autonomy... Um, uh, within uh, Ottoman rule. Uh, that means an, uh, uh, um, establishing a kind of a uh, regional parliament uh, uh, from uh, different elites uh, uh, of this vilayet uh, and uh, a kind of a, uh, um, a local government that was, of course, under the supremacy of uh, the Ottoman center. Uh, and in spring, uh, May, June, uh, the, uh, there were already preparations ongoing into this direction. Yeah? A kind of a Narodna Vlada was formed, a Narodna Skupština was formed. Uh, so this was one um, uh, way that the local elites were already working on because they thought the war ended with San Stefano uh, agreement and Bosnia uh, will get an autonomy under Ottoman um, uh, rule. So uh, there was uh, really much surprise we, we know if you look into diplomatic history, it was not such a surprise because the diplomats of the great powers had different kind of negotiations in advance. But on the ground, it was really a surprise that uh, that uh, the uh, occupation of Bosnia and the per, uh, or preliminary uh, uh, administration by the Habsburgs was then agreed upon. Yeah, so occupation that we know that was realized then in. Uh, after, after, as I mentioned earlier, after a, a quite uh, a violent occupational um, campaign, um, occupation was realized. This kind of a, a Bosnian autonomy under Ottoman rule was something that was quite realistic for some period of time. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, Ottoman uh, uh, troops were controlling the Bosnian Vilayet also after the Ottoman-Russian War. This was not the case in many other provinces of the Ottoman Empire that were occupied by Russian troops. This was not the case, um, as I mentioned, in Bosnia. So, yeah, there were uh, uh, quite different uh, possibilities about uh, the Bosnia after 1878 possible. We know that the, the one that was then realized. Mm-hmm. And finally, where has this project taken you, Dr. Granditz? What are you currently working on? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I worked quite long on this project because I was I got aware that, that so many factors played a role. I mean, one had to understand better Montenegrin history than the, the different parts of the, of, of, of the Bosnian historiography than understand better Serbian history and also the, the reform periods of the Habsburg Empire, the way Russia was brought in and, 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 and other great powers. So for me, it was really uh, a challenge to bring together uh, those different historiographies uh, by, by trying to better understand 
how the different historiographies have integrated the events that the book is about, the end of Ottoman rule, uh, into into their tradition. So, yeah, I I, I got here um, and um, uh, I'm, I'm quite really finished. Uh, 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 finished. Uh, at the moment, I, I think that um, I came to a point where I thought I, I have to to discuss a lot about my findings uh, uh, because I think that quite uh, the findings could could maybe or hopefully open up new perspectives um, and and not so sure I have just one project in in mind that presumably will be a, a next deeper project uh, I came across um, a, 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 how do you say um, a diary. Uh, a diary of the commander of the, Dalma- the, the, the uh, of Dalmatia, the civil and military commander of Dalmatia in of Habsburg Dalmatia, uh, uh, Gabriel von Rodic, uh, and Rodic uh, uh, was from 1869 uh, to about ten years the governor. Also, it's during the period that I'm uh, writing about this book. Um, and uh, Rodic was uh, writing this diary, and, and it, it really struck me. Uh, he in, uh, wrote every every day a couple of pages about what what was going on privately and also in politics uh, and, and on the border and also in Vienna and and so on. And in the end, uh, for just one year, the diary notes make up one thousand five hundred pages. That means in the four years you have six thousand pages. Of diary writing of this commander, yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, I spent already for this book quite a lot in 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 uh, in, in reading and and and, and doing. Um, and I think that that one story that that I would like to continue is going deeper into this uh, the way uh, Gabriel von Rodic or the way his world views uh, how he was somehow. Uh, understanding the situation in in Dalmatia, we know there is a kind of a Slavic uh, Italian uh, question ongoing unification with with, uh, with with other provinces of of, of the Slavic or Croatian lands. Uh, the crisis that I was talking about, uh, his connections to the imperial center, his negotiations with. Knaz uh, uh, Nikola and other power holders. So I think that a kind of an in-depth history. Might be, <laughs> uh, uh, might be a, a continuing step uh, that I think that that could be interesting as a mm-hmm. as a following up project. Fascinating, and for all those who are interested, these are unpublished documents kept at the the Kriegsarchiv, if I'm not mistaken, in Vienna. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's interesting. Uh, uh, we we already had preparation for a research project. We might get funding funding for this. Uh, we had a kind um, a system. I don't know if you're aware of this. Is a electro- electronic um, uh, um, system of transcribus that might help to, to transcribe the handwritten um, uh, pages into uh, into a, a machinable readable format. So um, because uh, six thousand pages are not so for just for four years, and if you want to go beyond this, so I mean, there's there, I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, Maybe in, in this next project, but I still uh, find myself still struck into the, uh, the the results of the book that, that I was talking today about. And fascinating results they are, um, Dr. Grandit. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining New Books Network. 
Thank you very much for having me.